gave me instructions what to do with this little thing up here, so I hope I got it right for the recording. It's my pleasure to be with you here this morning. It really is. Um, the man that you see in the bulletin, I don't know who he is. That was me 13 years ago. I got to get Craig a new picture. Um, no longer coloring my hair and just, you know, just saying, hey, I'm old now. So, you know, there comes a point at which you have to just admit that, right? You're so. brother, right? <laughs> what? You're your brother, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, and uh, we're going to look at this chapter together. I love your pastor, Pastor Craig. I have uh, known him for many, many years and uh, have had many lunches together with him. And uh, he would not want me to say this, but uh, he is a humble man who loves you all very, very much. And um, he uh, would not want me to lift him up, but uh, you, God has blessed you with a wonderful man. The book of James is written to a church that was going through some struggles. It was a young church. You know how we know it was young is because we know that James died in about 60 AD. The church didn't really form until the mid-30s, and so the church couldn't have been all, more than a few years old. And um, it was a young church, but yet they were still getting, having some problems. Um, they were uh, kind of prone to the same issues that we all have to face. Uh, you know. Sometimes there can be, uh, we can get a little proud of ourselves, and uh, sometimes we can stop looking to other people and just look inward, right? And that's what was going on with the people uh, at the church that, uh, that James was leading and that he was writing to. There was a real lack of humility that was uh, going on there. And so James is going to uh, address that issue uh, with this church. Now, here's why this is important. It's important because God speaks to every one of us, and the most important thing we can do in service to God is to humble ourselves before Him. When you came to Jesus Christ, you humbled yourself before Him. You came to him saying, listen, nothing can I do to earn my relationship with you. It's everything that you've done. But you know what's interesting? Even though that's how we come to Christ, it is so easy after we come to Christ in humility to start basing our relationship with him on our goodness and on all that we do and all that we have done. And it becomes so easy for us to become inward focused rather than bowing the knee before him and saying, Lord Jesus, you are everything. I come before you humbly. And so what I would like to do is go through James chapter four. And we're going to learn together here the importance of making humility a top priority in our lives. And James, we're going to draw three, uh, three or four conclusions from this chapter about the importance of humility, the importance of coming to God in a humble way. 
Listen, God gives grace to the humble. What did the writer of Proverbs say? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Coming before him and understanding how awesome he is, is the beginning of wisdom. Hey, we need it right now, don't we? There is so much going on in this world that it's hard to make sense of it. And we've got to come humbly before him in order to do that. So we're going to pour, uh, pull out uh, four reasons why we must make this our priority. Reason number one comes from uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We must, the first reason that we must make humility a priority is because of this. Because lack of humility tears the church apart. Let's look at this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Hey, what causes quarrels and, and fights? What causes us to lose the ability to control our tongue? What causes us to, to even... He uses the word murder. Now, I think he's referring back to what Jesus says. Hey, if, if you look at a person with anger, you've murdered that person. James goes into all these terrible things. And what causes these things to tear one another apart? It's when I want what I want, when I want it, rather than looking to the Lord in humility and saying, Lord, what do you want and when do you want it? Now, I don't think that there was murder was a common occurrence in the church but because James is echoing the Sermon on the Mount, he's basically saying, look, you can't be angry with one another. And he looks at coveting. Listen, James is saying, our passions that are inside of us, our desires are at war within us. And the only way to win that war is to come humbly before Jesus Christ. You can't do it by just saying, I'm going to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work more. No. The way that you resolve those passions is that you come humbly before God and allow Him to work in our heart, control those passions. Now, what does it mean to come humbly before God? Well, I believe there's a point where we have to put it on our schedules and we have to say, Lord, this is my time for you. Come to his word and let him speak to us. Let him talk to us. And it doesn't have to be deep study, but it, it's, it's an important thing that we do in order to just understand that he is God and we are not. And if we don't, if we make ourselves the center of our lives and never give time to worship at the feet of Jesus, it'll tear us apart. 
Look, the Bible says, you know, these were no doubt young Christians. Most likely the church had only been in existence for a few years, and pride is what was causing fractions and and warring families and warring nations and warring workplaces and warring within the church. And God says if we don't humble ourselves, that's what we're going to see. Now, we didn't go into chapter 3, but you know, the end of chapter 3 talks about being the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and full of mercy and impartial and that we are peacemakers. But it's going to be in the next few verses where we're going to see more clearly. So the first reason why we must humble ourselves before the Lord is because if we don't, it tears us apart. It tears families apart. It tears churches apart. It tears workplaces apart. Let's move on. Not only can we, not the, the first reason is the, that pride tears the church apart, but the second reason why we must humble ourselves before the Lord. And get this one, please. God places the highest priority on humbleness before Him. It's the highest premium imaginable. Look at verse 5 through verse 10. Do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, God says, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 5 is such an interesting verse. James says, God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. Listen, earlier in James, James says that we are made in the likeness of God. He has placed, we're different from the animals. We are people that he has placed his likeness, his image. We are spiritual beings. And then when we came to Jesus Christ as Savior, we became renewed spiritual beings. You're not the same person that you were once before. And whether he's talking about when you came to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, or whether he's talking about right now this morning, God says, I yearn jealously over the spirit that is within you. If you're not saved, he yearns jealously because you've got the, his likeness in you, but he wants to bring you into, your, into his family. But if you are saved, he, he yearns jealously over your spirit and says, come to me. Draw near to me. And he gives grace to the humble. He yearns for us. He yearns for us so much that God in his son, Jesus Christ, came to earth and took the penalty that I should have taken. 
And on that cross, it just wasn't the penalty of, of nails in his hands and nails in his feet. It was the penalty of bearing sin that didn't belong to him. It was the penalty of bearing the guilt. It was the penalty that was going to be so harsh and so difficult and so unbelievably painful that in the garden he said, Father, if there's a way, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And on that cross, as he was bearing the sins, he cried out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's how much he yearns over the spirit that is within you. He has made you in his likeness. He has created you in his image. We have fallen away from him, but he yearns for us so much to the extent that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to God. That's how much he loves us. And in verse 6, he follows up this wonderful statement that God yearns jealously for us by saying he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on to say, all of these things that show our humility. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. That shows humility. Here's a tough one. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Has there ever been a time when the devil can be more, can, can sidetrack us and put more temptations in front of us than he can now? I mean, maybe every generation has said that. But I fear for the kids in that room next door as they grow up 18 inches every day, every night from a screen. And on that screen, it's taking them places where they should never go, having them see things they should never see, hear things they should never see, be taught thing, hear things they should never hear, be taught things they should never learn, and it's right there in front of them all day long. And being humble means for us, who also have those temptations, is that we resist the devil because we understand that the devil is in opposition to the God that we humbly come before. The devil wants to do anything he can to say, God's word isn't true. He doesn't mean the best for you. Go do this. Go do that. But if we are humble before the Lord and we understand that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, we submit to the Lord and we resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Satan wants Satan's strategy is to cause us to question the goodness of God, to twist God's word or to doubt his ways. And he is active. Anyone want to debate that? You can't go to a news feed on your internet without having something flashing there that takes you where you shouldn't go. You can't watch a television show where they're not going to put something in there so that they can show you a worldly lifestyle. It can be nothing to do with the plot, but you have to have those two men kissing one another. 
Satan works in any means he can to entice us to go against the Word of God. And we must humbly submit to the Word. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Listen, the world is laughing at sin. The world laughs and we could be tempted to laugh along with it. Because there are so many places where sin seems to be funny. Hey, you know why I sin? When I sin, by the way, I sin. Does that shock you? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I sin because I like it. It's pleasurable for a season. So is it when you sin. But what James is saying is when you sin, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I can sometimes laugh at sin. But James says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Humble yourself before God and see that your sin is not laughable. It's something to be wept over. The only proper reaction to God's impending judgment is to be wretched and mourn and weep. And verse 10 is an amazing verse. This is kind of the central, this is where the whole humility comes from. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Now, hear that again and then let me, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So hear the statement again. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Here's my question. Can I promise you that that exaltation will take place in this life? I wish I could. This life, and especially this last year, has been one of the toughest years we have ever had. And I don't want to be overly COVID dramatic, okay? But let me just share some statistics with you. In the last year, there were 50,000 suicides. It's about one every 11 minutes in the United States. For every attempted, for every successful suicide, there are 25 unsuccessful suicides. Alcohol consumption over the last year has skyrocketed. A friend who works for Kroger, well, actually has a friend who works for Kroger, does ordering of alcohol, and it's just been a booming business. And not that, you know, it's just part of what Kroger does, right? I mean, Kroger isn't based on alcohol, but they, they have it there, and, and people have been consuming it. Life has been very difficult in this last year. And I would say to you that if you say, you know what, it hasn't been that bad, then uh, are you living in a parallel universe? 
See, I can't promise you that the exaltation that God is going to give you is going to be in this world. I, I'm not a Joel Osteen kind of guy. I can't promise you your best life now. But I can promise you that as you have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done, you came humbly before Him and received Him as your Savior, that when Christ calls you home or when He comes and returns, you will live a life of exaltation in the mansion that He is preparing for you, in the place that He has for you, in the, the renewed heavens and earth that we will live for for all eternity. I can promise you that. I wish I could promise it in this life. But in a minute, we're going to learn something about this life. So, first reason to humble ourselves before the Lord. Number one is, is because lack of humility tears the church apart, tears people apart, tears families apart. Second reason is because God places the highest priority on humility. It's the only way we can come to Jesus is humbly. The third reason we must make humility our top priority comes in verses 11 and 12, and it's this, because God is the supreme lawgiver and judge, not John Schaefer. Hey, you can put your own name in there, okay? God is the supreme lawgiver and judge, not John Schaefer, not you. Let's look at those verses. Do not speak evil against one, other, one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Look at verse 12. <laughs> There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you ever have conflicts at your work or in your family? Uh, I'm, I've been facing one lately in, in a situation. And God has really humbled me right now by telling me this truth. Let's, let me tell you how profound this truth is. It's this. John, you are not always right. <laughs> John, you are not always right. And I've had to learn, you know, as I've been dealing in this conflict situation, that God is the supreme ruler and judge, and He sees things exactly right. And He's given the law for me to live by. Now, the law that He's talking about, He's already talked, James has already talked about, it's the, the royal law of love. Love one another as, your, as yourselves. And it's the love your neighbor as yourself, uh, which James called the, the royal law. It, it's the, the broader law of the kingdom, by the way. But, but God is pointing out to me in this situation that I need to start seeing things from this other person's point of view, not just my own. And so part of understanding why we must humble ourselves before the Lord is 
God has the whole perspective. He's given us the, the law to love one another. And he knows more than we do. And we're not always right. I uh, grew up in a home where, uh, in, in Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, that's where the Amish are. Had many Amish friends and Mennonite friends. My family uh, broke away from a very conservative church. And, um, but my mom still retained some of the vestiges of that church, and, which was good, actually. And she had a two-word phrase that she would use for her son, for me, and for my brothers. And it was this. And she would say it in the King James Old English. Here's what she would say. Pride stinketh. And she would say that over and over. Pride stinketh. She had to put that, you know, Old English in there. And that's what James is saying. Pride stinks. And listen, when you're dealing with somebody else, don't speak evil against that brother. You don't know everything about their circumstance. And they shouldn't speak evil about you. They don't know everything about your circumstance. God knows everything about it. And God is the one who's given us the royal law, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's only one lawgiver, one judge. It's not my mom, it's not me, it's not you, it is the Lord. And so with Him being the judge, we can confidently love other people even when we don't want to. Have you ever not wanted to love someone? Uh, let's be honest. There are some people I find more difficult to love. But that doesn't excuse me from loving them. Or for treating them with, in such a way that I display the royal law of love. All right, so there's three reasons we've gone through so far. One, lack of humility tears the church apart. We don't want that. We also want to be humble because God places the highest priority on humility. He gives grace to the humble. We also want to be humble because God is the lawgiver, not us. We're not the ones who judge other people. But there's a fourth reason we must make humility a top priority. And I phrased it this way. Listen to it. We must make humility a top priority because God is sovereign over our misty lives. Now, where in the world am I getting misty life? God is the ruler over my misty life. God is control of my misty life. Well, let's go. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Listen, we must be humble before God because he's in control of our mist of a life. Now, my, grandma, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is uh, in the early stages kind of suffering with, you know, some dementia. But she's done something her entire life. She has been a wedding decorator and has, at, our, at the church, Calvary Baptist Church over the river, she has, like, uh, been the coordinator probably of over 100 weddings. And she can make flower arrangements like no one else can. And she still loves doing that. So we go to the dollar store, and every Memorial Day weekend, we go to 16 different graves of her family at two cemeteries and place those flowers. It, and this year we did it Friday and Saturday. We did it a week early. But you know what every one of those graves has in common? It was a mist of a life. It was a short life. Well, wait a minute. You know, uh, Grandma York, she lived to be 90. That's a mist, a short life in the, in the scope of all eternity. And what James is saying, hey, you can say tomorrow or today or tomorrow we'll do such and such. But you do not know that that will happen. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now that's depressing. It vanishes as far as what's here on earth. But for all eternity, it goes on forever and ever. But don't you dare say that I'm in control. I, can, I know what my life is going to bring tomorrow. I've got this under control. No, we ought to say... And we ought to mean, if the Lord wills. See, that's the humble thing to do. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It was humbling yesterday to go to all these funerals, funerals all these graves. One baby, infant York, didn't even have days. Stillborn, but there's still a little grave, and we still put flowers there. Others were old, but they were all mists. 26 days ago, Dr. Steven Sternberg, a physician in the town I live, was diagnosed with cancer. That no, was actually 31 days ago. He lived 26 days. A young man, younger than me. And yesterday, Calvary Baptist Church celebrated his life. But if you had talked to him 32 days ago, he never would have predicted what happened. 
wonderful man of God, celebrating in heaven right now, healthier than he's ever been. But that teaches us the importance of this kind of humility. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's been a rough year. And I don't know if you've known anyone who's died of COVID, but I do. And uh, a couple, actually. Dave Hammers, who gave his life for Fairhaven Rescue Mission for the last 25 years in downtown Covington. A man who's late 60s, the most active man you can possibly imagine, spoke at churches every Sunday morning, full of life, full of vigor. COVID got him. He kept struggling in the respiratory, struggling, in, and, and finally passed away in January. I wonder, Lord, why Dave Hammers? No one does ministry better than he does it. I can't answer your questions about the why, but I can say this, that the Lord is sovereign. We should believe in our hearts that if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We must humbly become before him and say, Lord, I am not in control of my business, of my church, of the ministry I work for. I'm not in control of my family. I will do the best. I will humbly come before you. But Lord, I want you to do your thing, your work. I want you to be the one who's exalted. And I hand it over to you. Because if I don't do that, I am boasting in my own arrogance. And look what verse 16 says. All such boasting is evil. And then in 17, he, he rounds it off. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do in light of the fact that Jesus Christ humbled himself for us? You remember Philippians chapter 2, right? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but he let go of it. He emptied himself and gave himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear the echo there of Christ humbling himself and then God exalted himself? God exalted Christ and gave him a name that is above every other name, gave him the name of God. In the same way, we humble ourselves. God promises to exalt us, not to give us the name above every other name, but to allow us to spend eternity with the one who gave his life for us. 
And to fail to humble ourselves is sin. Well, I guess we would say we all sin. But according to James, that's the sin we have to start with. Humbling ourselves before Him so that He can exalt us. Can we do that this morning? Can we offer a prayer and say, Lord, today we commit, we renew our desire to humble ourselves before you. Will you pray that with me? And then we're going to sing a hymn that actually is all about humility. It's just as I am. I don't bring anything to you. I come just as I am without one single plea except that your blood was shed for me and that you want me to come to you. O Lamb of God, I come. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would renew in us a spirit of humility. A spirit that recognizes that you give grace to the humble. We want to humbly turn to you today. And as people who are born again, renew our desire, renew our commitment to being humble before you and not proud. And if there is someone who, here today who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, may they humbly come before you today and latch on to what you have done for them. Trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, humble us. Help us to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. They're going to come up and lead us, and I believe it's hymn number, let me get this open, hymn number 307.
Christ as your Savior and humbly come before Him, I invite you to do that today. Simply say that you're a sinner who needs His grace. And trust Him as Lord, but you have to do it humbly. You have to say, Lord, in order to, for me to bow before you and take what you've given, I have to humble myself before you. If you've never done that, then we would love to see you have that happen to you today. I'd love to pray with you about that if you want. Who am I asking to be in prayer? Me. Would you do this, please? Yes. Lord, we thank you for this gathering together of believers. And we ask humbly that you guide us as we keep us in your path and help us to love with your love, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.